Good morning, podcast. Welcome to the Pieti Limit Show. You are on the podcast for photographers, videographers, and creators in general. All right, guys, hope you're having an amazing day wherever you are in this world, whatever you're doing right now. I'm going to introduce you to an awesome fellow human being. His name is Nigel Danson, and I've been waiting for that conversation for a very long time. Now, Nigel is not just a landscape photographer. He also has a previous life as a tech entrepreneur, and that's why I think his story is awesome. So in this episode, we'll be digging into what happened during his accident, how come he flipped his life over to become a photographer, and also we'll be giving you tons of tips on how you can sell your art, maybe even a few hacks. We'll be talking a little bit about style and how do you learn to become a better artist in general. So if you're ready, we're going to welcome together Nigel to the podcast. But if you want a little bit of context onto what he's creating, go to Instagram and type nigel.danson, D-N-S-O-N, and you will be able to get a little bit of context on what he's creating. So with no further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Nigel. Oh, great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time and, uh, and being with me on the podcast. Uh, I'm very, very looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I am too. I can't wait to have a chat about all things photography. Yes. Nigel, uh, I want to dig into, uh, maybe it's going to be unconventional to start here, but I noticed you have five guiding principles, especially uh, on your bio, on your website. Can you tell me a little bit more about your, your principle? Where, why are they and where are they coming from? Yeah, so I think, it, I think it's, first of all, it's good to have something to, whenever you're doing anything new um, or something you've done for a long time, to have some principles that you follow. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I set up a business in the past um, that I did for around about 16 years, a software company. And I think towards the end of that, I probably got lost a little bit and um, you know, started to not enjoy it as much as I wanted to. So I wanted to make sure that when I did photography and took up landscape photography as a professional, I wanted to you know, ensure that I had these guiding principles. So I think the first one, which is the most important for anything that you do, is, is always photograph things you love. Um, and and don't, just, don't just do anything for commercial gain alone, because... You know, all, all, although I want to make money out of it, um, you know, there's no doubt about that. It's how I'm going to make my living. But you know, if if I don't love what I do, then I, I think that I won't. That passion won't come across. And certainly, when I'm on a YouTube channel, everyone can see that passion <laughs> or not. So it's it's really important. And then um, I had I had one that, that that was specifically about photography. The others are more specifically about photography, really, which are. You know, shooting more sunrises and sunsets, um, which is difficult in the summer. In fact, I was out on Sunday um, and I, I, I set my alarm for 3 a.m., which, which just wasn't a good thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. One. Yeah, I should have set it for about 10 to 3, but 2.50 just sounded too early. So, so I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, so, but, but I, I find you know it's in landscape photography it's always better to shoot a sunrise than it is a sunset you always get better results um you know the atmosphere tends to be a little bit different because you get that cold from the evening so you get more moisture in in the air um and you you, you just get you know potentially better, better things happening um you know i've got a bad back one of the reasons that i, I stopped sitting behind a desk and, and running a software company is because I had a bad back. Um, I got a pinch nerve, so sitting too much and editing um, is is not a good idea for me. 
So I, I, I said, don't spend too much time on editing photos. Um, although editing is a really important part of the photography um, and image making process. In fact, it's probably 50% of it um, and forever doing it. So, you know, I want to make sure that that, that, that doesn't take over. Um, then, then I said, I shouldn't buy any new gear unless, unless mine's broken um, or stopping me getting images that I desire. So, however, having said that, <laughs> I think I've broken. I think I've broken that multiple times. <laughs> so yeah, so I I love gear. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. When I when I read the that one, I was like, oh, how, how is that one going? <laughs> <laughs> really badly. <laughs> so yeah. So I I yeah. Just like anybody else, I I I love getting gear. But you know, the reality is, it, it probably doesn't actually help you take good photos. It might inspire you for a few weeks to get out more but it, it doesn't really help you get better photos um and then and then i wanted to make sure i just went to new locations because half of photography as you well know being a, a, a fairly big adventurer is adventure so you know i, w- I want to go out and find new things um but again you know i i do find that it doesn't probably improve my photography so much finding new locations because if i go back to the same location i get better photos but it's fun you find new ways of doing things and um yeah traveling's great isn't it so so they're my, they're my guiding principles and I've, i've i'm doing most of them so doing okay <laughs> that's awesome um uh, i'm gonna jump back on on a few things you mentioned but f- first of all I'm kind of curious. Did you have those? Did you have like principles like that when you were running the software company? Also, yes. Um, so I've I've always had them. So I did it a little bit differently when I ran my software business because I, I set goals at the beginning of each year. Mm-hmm. So um, of what I wanted to achieve, and I always, you know, I always tried to achieve things over and above what I thought was possible. So you know, my software business I started on my own, um, and then I, I I grew it to a we employed 150 people. So, you know, it's a fairly sizable business and, um, yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, we had offices in Manchester and New York, and then I went over to San Francisco itself, an office up over there, but I just didn't enjoy it at the end. And I think, you know, I think everything, you know, in business like that, where it's just purely commercial growth, you know, it's difficult to stay in love with it. Uh, yeah. and, 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 I, and I wasn't, super passionate about it at the end whereas i've always loved photography so now i want to make sure that i stay in love with photography and don't fall out of love with it so i've got to make sure i do the things i enjoy the most which which uh i'm gonna speak for myself here but which can actually become also tricky yeah i think it is isn't it because i think you know you probably find this that you know if you're doing you know, if, if, I, I, I say that I produce a YouTube video every Sunday and, and um, you know, it, it would be, I'd, I'd like to say that every one of those YouTube videos was really easy to produce from a motivational point of view, because sometimes it isn't. Um, and, you know, you could say that I probably shouldn't try and get a video out every Sunday and, and forget it when I don't feel so motivated. But, um, but I quite like that. I think my audience quite likes the fact that, that they get up on Sunday morning and watch my channel. Um, so but it you know you've you've got to be careful haven't you um i'm sure you found that that you don't just do it for commercial gain you've got to you've got to keep doing it because you love it yeah there there is a fine balance uh between and i think it's true for anything you do in life where you might be loving it 
uh, but if you do it too much of it, then then just like candies, you know, it's like a pack of candies. If you eat one, yeah. you love it. Two, you love it, and after ten, maybe you start <laughs> being sick with it. You don't want to eat it anymore. <laughs> so if yeah. you pace it out, it for me it helps it, or at least going back to stuff that sometimes I I know won't be great, but makes me ha- really happy to do. Yeah, I, th- I think I think so, and. It- I think that's why it's good to go to different locations as well, because usually if you go to a new location, you, 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 it motivates you, doesn't it? So You were mentioning sunrise is literally one of the most important time for you to go shoot. Now, I'm super curious because there are different philosophies around sunrise. What part of sunrise do you prefer? Do you prefer the blue hour, golden hour, which is, I think, blue hour is like an hour before and then golden get like 30 minutes before. What, at what time do you get there? Yeah, so I usually get to a location for sunrise about an hour before. Um, you know, sometimes I camp out on a on a on a top of a mountain, and then you know, if I'm doing that, then I'm there earlier, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, but an hour before helps, um, and I prefer sunrise after the sun has risen, actually, because um, um, I, I I I like that early light. Yeah, um, it's not to say that I haven't got amazing shots in blue hour. Um, and I have, you know, I've got some gorgeous sort of pastel colors, but I really like that light just hitting the land. You know, I like the low, the the low light, uh, you know, low angle coming in and just creating texture on rocks and things like that. Um, I think that makes it for, for a pretty spectacular shot. Uh, and I also, I also like sunrise, even if there's no sunrise, if, you, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. just, just early in the morning. So like, for instance, when I was out this Sunday, um, I was actually running, running a workshop and we, 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 we got out early and we were at a lake and it was just so still, but there was sort of fog, fog hang, hanging over it. And I think that's just pretty amazing. You don't tend to get that condition very much in, you know, around sunset. Yeah, I feel like um, sunrise is one of those rewarding moments, but you really have to fight for it. <laughs> you have to fight for it. And also, you don't, and it, unlike sunset, where everything gets better and better as you're waiting, sunrise, everything gets worse. <laughs> yes. So, 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 it, so it's more difficult to go and do a sunrise at a location you don't know very well um, because you really need to know the location so you can go and not. You know, because you, you quite often you're setting up in the dark. Um, whereas with the sunset, you can go there two or three hours before, find a good composition, and then just wait for the great light. Yeah, that's 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 a very good point. And um, well, about sunset, what you're saying is that it it gets better. Um, uh, I always find it difficult to find when I should stop taking photos. Not stop, like in the sense like I'm done. But it's more like the, sometimes the sunset keeps going on and on. And I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, wait, was this shot better than the previous one? What should I do? Yeah, I think, that, and, and, and that's difficult sometimes with composition because you find, a, you know, because I'm, I'm a quite traditional photographer where I'll go find, you know, I, I tend to probably only come back from a location with maybe one or two shots. Um, so although I take quite a lot of exposures, I, I, I won't usually take more than one or two compositions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that if I'm shooting in different light, then the composition perhaps changes. So yeah. I, was in, I was in Iceland recently and we were shooting, there was an amazing foreground where the light was just hitting it and it looked spectacular in front of this sort of ice lagoon. But then after the sun had set, the, the, the composition was going into the snow-covered mountains with this beautiful 
um, sort of pastel coloured you know, sky. And, and it took me a little bit to try and find that right composition for that different lighting conditions, which, which, which is sometimes difficult because I'm quite a slow photographer. I, you know, I, I take my time and, you know, I really have to be measured with my photography. Um, and, um, you know, that, that for me is, is, is something that I, I, I find difficult if the light conditions are changing rapidly. Yeah, I, yes, I completely agree with you on, on that point. I'm, I'm super curious because what you're mentioning is that um, you're, you're slow and you're taking your time when you take those photos. And, and that's why at one point we, we should go shoot together because I'm literally the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I might have noticed that from your YouTube videos. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, I, I don't do the um, landscape challenges or whatever. So no. people don't really see me shooting landscape, but even yeah. in landscape, and that's, that's something, maybe you have tips for anyone else who is a little bit impatient. When you're right to location, do you feel like you want to hit different spots or do you feel like there's only one you want to be at? Yeah, so it changes that. Um, so it's it's really interesting because I run workshops as well. Um, I think people often have a light bulb moment when they get to a location with me because um, the way I look at trying to find a composition is is quite different than perhaps what they would have done. So I, I would arrive at a location. I'd I'd usually just sit around for maybe. 20 minutes and or just walk around without my camera um, and just try and take in the location then I'd get my phone out um, and I'd start using my phone to see if I can dial in some compositions so you know you kind of kind of find compositions by taking shots on my phone because I find the phone at sort of a 25-26 millimeter lens is is you know similar to the sort of wide angle shots that I'm probably going to take And the other thing of using your phone is that you've got a really good screen to look at the shots on. So you, it's easier to compose with your phone than it is with your camera. Um, and, and so when I found a good shot with my phone, then I will get my camera out and do some handheld shots. Um, and then the final thing is I'll set my tripod up. But I, but I, I usually – so that, that process usually takes about an hour to, to, to be able to take my first – shot in a landscape and and that very rarely changes you know I, I, i'm unless the light is for some reason really spectacular and i've got to do it quickly but when that happens i, I very rarely get a, a great shot um all my sort of best portfolio shots are all taken when i've been very measured and precise about how i set up oh that that is awesome um i, I want to bounce back on on your phone composition i think you're 100 um onto something um with the phone it's It's just so easy to see a composition and see how elements integrate into it uh, even better than any camera. And, and I can only uh, encourage anyone listening to try it because I think yeah. they might be surprised. So you're basically taking an hour. That's, that's amazing. I want to go on a challenge with you where it's actually a slow challenge and I can only take one photo. <laughs> <laughs> you'll fail. I can imagine you'll be like, oh, no, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so a, ch a challenge like that's a good idea. It's a good, it's, I mean, maybe not one photo, but just to say, you know, you, I, I did um, a video a year ago where I said I could only go out and take 24 exposures. So it was like having an old film um, in my, in my camera, but, um, but, it, but I think just to go out and say, right, I can only take five exposures. Mm -hmm. You, you, you will guarantee, I guarantee you, you'll get five better shots than if you go and just take lots of shots. Um, because, you know, I, 
all my shots when I get back into Lightroom all look quite similar from the same you know location yeah. and all I'm doing is fine-tuning that composition and fine-tuning the light and the settings and everything until I've got as best I can get out of that composition. Interesting and how, how much of your composition do you finalize in uh, in post-production versus on location? Yeah, so I usually visualize the image that I want to get. And I think that's a difficult thing. You know, whenever I say that to anybody on a, on a workshop, for instance, and, you know, people eyes closed and don't really understand what I mean. But what I try and do is visualize how I want that shot to look after I've edited it and printed it. Um, so uh, because I print my images and, you know, my, my portfolio and, and have exhibitions and sell my images, um, that final product for me is the thing that's important. So I'm trying, and that's why I use my phone, because I edit the shots that I initially take on my phone in, in apps like Lightroom or Snapseed or something like that, um, because I want to be able to visualize how that's going to look. Sometimes what I get in my camera is almost there. Sometimes it's quite a long way off there, and there might be quite a lot of post-processing to do on that, on that um, image. You know, I never spend a huge amount of time doing it, but it doesn't mean that I don't do a lot of post-processing because sometimes I do, mm -hmm. but it always looks like a natural photo. I don't, it doesn't look over-processed, even though there might have been a lot of processing involved in it. Yeah, yeah, you're not trying to go over the top with the, no. <laughs> with the clarity no. slider and no. the HDR. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. dehaze. <laughs> Hundreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So, I um, Nigel, I want to ask you something. I want to go back to um, you. You mentioned on your bio, and I think in a video, your your story and how you decided to actually pursue photography and, and stop uh, being yeah. a tech entrepreneur. Let's call it like that. What were you? Uh, from what I understood, the accident happened in Yosemite. Can you walk us yeah. a little bit through yeah. your thought process before, after, <laughs> and most importantly, were you in Yosemite for photography? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the reason that you go to Yosemite. But yeah, I was. I, I so what what happened is states to set up this company um, in in or a, an office in San Francisco, and I arrived there before my family, um, and so I. I had some spare time um, and I went to Yosemite. So I drove to Yosemite and um, I arrived in Yosemite. I had something to eat. And then the next thing I knew, I was driving down the road that, in the Yosemite Valley and um, I, I passed out. I turned my car over multiple times and then ended up embedded on a redwood tree. So, so then oh, I got wow. airlifted. I got airlifted out um, because they thought I broke my neck. Uh, and I ended up in a hospital in Modesto, of all places in California. And if anybody's from California, they'll know that that's not the best place to go. If anybody's from Modesto, sorry. Um, then, so I was, I was, I was, I was there. I was in hospital there, thinking, I wonder how that happened. Um, and then, when I, whilst I was in hospital, my heart stopped three times. Um, for about 30 seconds each time. And the reason that I'd had the accident is because my heart had stopped. So I, 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 they found out that I had a defect, a, def, a defect with my heart, my sinus node in my heart, which controls the rhythm of your heart. So I had to be fitted with an emergency pacemaker. Oh. So, so that's why I had the accident in Yosemite. A lot of people who know about or have heard that I've had an accident think, oh, well, the accident 
caused me to have a pacemaker, but I, I, it was the fact that I needed a pacemaker that caused the accident. So um, I didn't know anything about that. I'd had passed out a few times in, in the past, but just didn't understand why um, and never really followed it up. Um, so, so when that happens to you <laughs> and you, and, and I, I, I mean, I was so lucky because if I'd have passed out on the way up to Yosemite, there's some big drops there. Um, and I would have, I'd, I would have died definitely. Um, so I was really lucky at that point. I, I, I knew that I, I wanted to carry on doing what I was doing with, you know, I just got over to set up a, 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 a company, uh, over there. So I carried on doing that, but I realized that I needed to change what I wanted to do and my priorities in life. And that's why I wanted to then go and, um, pursue my passion, which was photography, um, and make a, a good job of it really. So, I said to my, my, my kids that I was going to set up a YouTube channel um, and they all laughed at me, really. <laughs> I can they're imagine. Like, yeah, they were like, no, why are you doing that? That's the, the least cool thing you can do. <laughs> and, then, and then they all said that it'd never be successful. And it was hard. I mean, anybody's going to set up a YouTube channel, they'll find that the first few months, are, as, as you'll attest to, that are so difficult because you don't get many views you don't get many subscribers and you think why am i spending all this time making these videos <laughs> it's yes it's the worst paying job ever yeah and you don't get any money and, and you and everyone goes oh you get some ad revenue i mean i i, I remember when i switched ad revenue on in the first month i think i got two dollars or something <laughs> um and, and everyone and yeah you and even now i don't get a lot of money from ad revenue so um so it, it, it was hard, but it, it worked. And, and yeah, I, I slowly made that decision over a couple of years then to, 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 to move myself out of the business that I set up and um, start being a professional photographer, which was a tough decision because I was in a very successful role and I had to move from that into a role that paid nothing. <laughs> so it was very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, <coughs> it's super, how do, how do you say I feel like, especially if you're in that role and you're relying on a lot of people to work with you, you have teams and, and you know, there is this dynamic of group and, and yeah. team teamwork that really helps, even though sometimes you're not motivated 100%, you know, just because you have a team and they might be driven on that day and you're not, it really helps uh, push things forward. Uh, how was it when you suddenly ended up alone yourself with your <laughs> camera and the landscape? <laughs> Yeah, that was funny because I'm used to, I was used to delegating a lot of things. So I was, I was used to, um, I'm working with teams and having that contact, like you say, um, and suddenly having to do everything myself. And, and I didn't know how to edit. Um, I'd done a bit of videography, but not very much. So I had to learn everything from scratch. Now, obviously I was a good, good photographer or a reasonably good photographer. Um, and I'd done that over a lot of years, but everything else was fairly new to me. Um, so, and, and then also it, it can get quite lonely as well because, um, you know, I'm out on a mountain on my own, taking photos, talking to a camera, which, you know, <laughs> seems a bit dumb. Um, <laughs> and then, um, although I prefer doing it that way than talking to a camera in front of other people. Um, but yeah, so it, 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 it was difficult and I, I still m miss a little bit having that team work because i think it's quite nice as you work if you work as a team to solve a problem um but i i i have to admit it is quite nice having the freedom of of just doing whatever i want as well um that that's great and, and i get to speak to people like yourself about things because 
um but but i suppose there's not a lot of youtubers <laughs> doing what we do to have conversations with um so so it's not as easy to have conversations about what works and what doesn't yeah yeah it's uh, it's definitely not uh, as um, social as a work environment would be that's for sure no uh, it's it everything relies on you Uh, I feel that's my experience, guys. Uh, everything relies on you to actually create that social circle and um, and make connections with with people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're you're not gonna be forced to eat with your colleagues at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah, which uh, <laughs> which can be a great thing indeed. Um, so so you you moved away from that and and then you you started your, your photography do, do you remember the tipping point where you thought i don't know if it's going to work to i think it can work or were you always believing 100 you would make it yeah i mean for me what i always wanted to do was not concentrate you know i was i, I was in quite a lucky position where you know I, i knew that i had some money behind me so i didn't have to make it work instantly although it had to work you know i've got three kids yeah and um you know I, i had to earn money from it but i didn't have to earn money in the first sort of six months i suppose so i had that luxury and i knew that the most important thing was not really concentrate on what i'm going to sell but concentrate on who i'm going to sell it to um and so what i wanted to do was make sure i built an audience um that um that loved, loved what I did and, and gained some value out of what I did. Um, and so I wanted to be able to, I, th I felt YouTube was the best platform to do that. Um, I think it's the only platform as well where somebody can really have a connection with you um, and a longer connection than you get on Instagram or Twitter or any other social media. Um, so, you know, when, you, when, you, when, you, when somebody watches a video of you, I think they feel that they start to get to know you. Um, so, and then that helps when you do want to sell something that you've built that relationship, then they trust you and you're selling them something that they're going to value. And, and, and that's, that's really important, I think. So, you know, and then over time, I, 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 I as my audience grew, I thought, well, this is going to work. Cause I, I, you know, I saw my audience starting to double every month and I thought, well, if I can just continue like this, then I'm going to get to a tipping point where I've got enough people that are interested in what I've got to say to be able to, offer something that's a little bit more um, premium content, I suppose, whether that's a downloadable thing or, and the, or other videos or workshops. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, I, I like that philosophy around uh, what value can you provide, uh, especially when you're doing something on YouTube, etc. And especially nowadays, because we're not in 2008 anymore, where you can just flip on a camera and, and talk for about, anything and people will be interested because there is just not that much content <laughs> uh, nowadays it's pretty there are a little ton of content a lot of content. yeah yeah and i think i think that, that i think you know viewers i i i feel that you know everyone says it's really good of me to offer content for free well i i, I see it as completely the other way around i think it's really good of somebody to spend 10 minutes watching my video and if and if somebody's going to spend that 10 minutes watching my video it's going to be the best video i've ever produced <laughs> Because if it isn't, if it's not the best content I can produce and the, and the most useful thing, then I've wasted their time. And that's the worst thing that I could possibly do. So I, 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 you know, it's not that I'm offering it for free. It's off, they're offering their time for free to me. And that's the way I see it. That's good. I like that way of seeing it, flipping, uh, flipping the tables. That's really, really good way of seeing it. 
Speaking of time, I have a question someone asked on Instagram, and his his Instagram handle is R Weber, and he was asking how many hours uh, did you spend <laughs> to achieve your skills? <laughs> wow. Um, well, I suppose it, there's different skills. I mean, I, I, in terms of my photography skill, so I started. Um, doing photography when I was 13 um, and I, I made the, the first money out of my photography when I was around about 16, 17 because I sold my prints to a, a company in the UK that made posters out of them which then paid for my work through through university so that so I think my skill was good enough when I was you know in my late teens early 20s so and I hadn't, I hadn't spent a huge amount of time on it, but I, I, I'd spent, you know, I'd gone out probably two or three days a week and taken photos. In those days, I, I used film and, and developed my photos in the dark room. And I, I read a lot about it. So I read a lot of books about it. There was no, not a lot of on, online content then. So I read a lot of books. And, and then I've spent a lot of time since then, obviously, honing my skill and making it better. Um, uh, and, and, you know, thousands and thousands of hours. Um, and then videography, where, where I did videography, you know, I really immersed myself in, into just just getting out and just trying things. So and there's only so much you can do with YouTube videos. You, 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 you've got to actually get out there and fail <laughs> and keep failing until you think, right, that's the, be- that's the best way it's going to work. So I just did intensive amount of videos and just most of them are just deleted. But it, it <laughs> helps me. <laughs> yeah. It helped me get better reasonably quickly. So I, I became a reasonable videographer within probably three or four months, I'd say. But it was a lot of work to get to that point. And now, and as, as with anything, I'm ne- I don't think I'm amazing at anything. I'm always improving. Um, I'm always getting better. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the most important part. Yeah. Um, the two things. Can we rewind back to the because that that struck me. Can you rewind back to the day you sold your your first? Uh, how was it? Was it a print? How did anyone even see a photo of someone who was like 15 or 16 years old? Yeah. So that, yeah, I mean, that, um, that was quite, quite a long time ago. So, so the, the, there was a company in the UK called Athena, um, which is, which was a, a company that you could go into and that they were, they probably had about 400 shops around the UK and, and people bought posters from them. It was like a poster company. And I think you could buy art material and other stuff. And I approached them um, with some of my prints of the, late, of the Lake District in the UK and said, look, I've got these black and white prints. Um, would you be, consider selling them? So they started selling them in the Athena in the Lake District. And then somebody obviously got to head office through some, some means or other. So they made a poster out of it. Um, and so through that, I then got a commission for that poster um, to be produced. Um, but that, that was one of probably... 30 places that I went up to and I went in person to and said would you consider selling my prints so it was just like a lot of knocking on doors really um if I go forward to now where I'm selling my prints and the first print I I sold when I started being a professional landscape photographer probably what is it two and a half years ago now um then that was one of um, the Golden Gate Bridge um from I I I lived quite close to there when I was in San Francisco and it was one of the fog over the Golden Gate Bridge, but but from quite a unique angle. 
Um, and I sold it to the people that lived in the houses that were in that photo in, in a place called Belvedere, which is quite an exclusive area in San Francisco. And I used Facebook advertising for that. So I just, just on Facebook, I said, I want this photo to be shown to all the people on Facebook that where, whose house is in the photo. Um, yeah. Oh, no way. And um, awesome. I actually <laughs> sold 20, and I think it's probably still the quickest I've ever sold any prints. I sold 20 copies of it, and I actually sold them for a reasonable amount. I, I, I think, I think I, was, I sold them for $250 each. Um, so, um, yeah, so that was, an, that, that, that was always also when I started out, some, I, I, I thought, wow, this is really easy selling prints, and then realized it actually wasn't that easy. <laughs> so that was the most successful I think I've ever been for one print, really. That's amazing. I, I love how you hacked the, the, the sell part where you just, hey, I'm going to take a photo of your area and just sell it to you. That's, that's I think, a great I think it way, is. I think it's cause it, because most people that buy photos buy them because they want a memory of that area. Um, so if they live there and it's a unique photo, and it was quite a unique photo, and they knew it was a unique photo, then the more likely to buy it. For, you know, Most of the people who watch my channel are photographers, and photographers – want to get their own photos and put them on the wall. So they're less likely to buy my photos. Um, I, and I understand that. And I do sell sure. a reasonable number of photos now, but I have a huge audience. Um, and, and if you look at my audience, the number of prints that I sell, then you probably wouldn't, you, you probably think I should sell more prints. Yeah. Yeah. You can't it's, sell it's, prints it, to photographers. It's difficult. It's, I mean, you, you can, it's but it's, yeah. 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 <laughs> selling prints That's true. in any way is difficult. Unless you have an ex exhibition or a gallery where, because it's quite a tactile thing, um, you know, it's, it, it is a difficult thing to do. It is, yeah, that's true. So are you planning to hit the, the richest spot in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the UK? And <laughs> I don't, I don't think photos. so. I, I probably should. If I, if I, again, if I wanted to do it from a commercial point of view, purely commercial, then I probably should go to all those locations, yeah. try and find some u unique conditions and take a unique shot. And I, I'm sure that would work. So if anybody wants to try it, do it. <laughs> But that's probably not for me. So I probably won't do that now. Yeah, I'm sure someone listening is a little bit short on, yeah. uh, on money or wants to get into photography and, and more like the commercial side, uh, just at least just to make a little bit of money through their passion and maybe they have student debt yeah. or whatever. Um, could that be a, that could, could be yeah. a great so, way Especially to, to if you've got something like, um, so say I'm just thinking about London and, and you're on, on the Thames and there's lots of apartments on the Thames that probably are people with reasonable amounts of money. You know, if you can take an amazing sunset and it has their apartment in it, or, you know, or it shows a view from their apartment and then you show it on Facebook to those people, then th there's a good chance that they're probably going to buy it because they're going to think that's going to look good on, on, on the wall. Um, so then that you know, could be pushed out to multiple different locations, couldn't it? That's awesome. So, yeah, because one of the, the, the questions I also received was around selling prints in, in gallery. If, if you have any experience with that um, or any tips, um, someone was asking me, like, hey, how, how, can I, how can you get to sell prints in galleries? And to be honest, I personally never mm. did it. So um, have, have, do you um, have any experience so with I've that? I've done two things. One, I've had, I had an, ex, an, ex, an exhibition. So, and that was quite good because... I, I hired a space and that space took a percentage of the sales um, rather than a fixed fee. Um, and then I promoted that and um, obviously sold some to my friends. <laughs> um, and, but I also had a lot of people just coming in and seeing the, the, the ex, 
exhibition. And that was successful. And then in terms of a gallery, I, I contacted a number of galleries um, actually before I was a proper professional photographer where I just wanted to make a little bit, a bit of extra money. Um, and then a few of them, as long as you've got good quality images, then they're always looking for that sort of thing to fill their walls. It's just a question of going to speak to these galleries, just go in in person. There's no point sending them an email. You've actually got to go in person and taking your work and saying, look, this is my work. Would you put it on your walls? Um, and and you, you're not going to sell a huge amount, but you will you will sell some. And I say, if you're going to do that, make sure your work gels together well so you don't have random bits of work. So either try and have a project or a theme, you know, just seascapes or just a particular location or just a particular type of time of day. Something that gels together well so that they see it as a, a work of art on the wall as a collection of images. That makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to have like street photography no. next to landscape, no. next to portrait. Uh, it's, I mean... It's it's people are, are going to think it's different. Yeah, to and I think even likely. more than that, it needs to gel even more. So if you you know if you're taking and the, the woodland photography that shots that you're taking probably need to look like that that yeah they've come from the same photographer that you you, you need to you, know, you don't want one that's just like amazing light coming through some trees and then one that's very sort of ethereal shot with some fog. Um, although you know if you're having an exhibition you might do that. I think if you put put in maybe five or ten bits of work in a gallery you probably want them to gel together even more yeah i, f I find that that's one of the the hardest part actually um and maybe it's just personal um but because of the nature of the photography yeah. idea, it's very diverse and sometimes i think it's too diverse uh yet i don't want to go down where i don't do certain type of so i'm in a little weird situation where sometimes like well i'm shooting landscape but i'm also shooting street and i'm also shooting action. yeah <laughs> and it's tricky it's, it's difficult isn't it i mean i i suppose i enjoy shooting other things i just don't share the other things that i shoot so i try and keep um you know a, a style on my instagram feed and i think you have you know you know looking at your yeah. instagram feed i think you have a style it's but it's but it's slightly broader yes. isn't it but you, you you can tell you've got a photography style you know it's quite dramatic yeah. and and you know bold colors and things but but uh, you know it's it's more difficult isn't it when you're shooting different types of um shots it is it is it is definitely and i think for anyone trying to um, be known in a very specific area it's it's better to be narrow even if you should something else just to make sure whatever you share publicly is is very consistent yeah, really, really helps definitely and share your best stuff you know if you're not sure about it don't share it <laughs> yes nigel I'm, i i yeah, want to be sure. mindful of your time so i just want right. to wrap up with one two questions actually the first one is let's say you get on location or you're at home you're not really inspired. Where do you find creativity? Where do you find inspiration? So, um, so if I'm on location, I usually find inspiration just by sitting and, and just taking in the, the 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 landscape and just observing. Um, that usually helps me to find a better composition. So just just sort of taking in the environment and listening to the sounds, the smells. You know, looking around, obviously. Um, and then when I'm at home and I'm looking for inspiration, then um, I, I, I go online a lot, if I'm honest. I, I, I do think Instagram's a good way of finding inspiration. You don't have to copy people's styles, but I, I do think it's a good way of trying to find something you might like and then thinking, well, that's a style I like. Um, certainly if you're struggling for a style, because obviously when you're starting photography or when you're trying to 
develop something that's a little bit more stylized, you might not really know what your style is. So to be able to go and try different things that you've seen on Instagram, and then you might fall in love with one's a good idea. I, I, you know, it's not so much copying; it's just trying to be inspired by somebody else's style. I think that's good. And then eventually, you might develop something yourself. And I'm always doing that sort of thing. And I, I think my style sort of it changes over time. Really, that's yeah, that's cool. Do you, would you? So last words. Imagine, um, uh, would you have a little exercise people could could try? Uh, in order to get out of that creative block or like an, an exercise you would suggest anyone to do? Let's say, what, what day are we now? We're like middle of the week, maybe before the weekend? Yeah, so so a, a good exercise is, is just to try and go out with your camera and actually do something limited. So say, okay, I'm going to go out and shoot green or I'm, you know, and, and I'm going to do three shots and they've got to represent green, or I'm going to go out and I've got to leave my camera on F 1.4 and that's all that matters. So really sort of narrow down what you're going out to shoot and then don't shoot anything else but that thing. Um, and, and make that quite sort of, um, quite unique you know quite different in what you're trying to do so different than what you normally would do um and i think then you'll start to look at things in a different way that's awesome yeah i, f I find that the the tighter the the box around your yeah around it's a good way you can it. shoot the the higher the higher the creativity can you yeah, can actually yield yeah, it's a really good way of saying it <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome. Nigel, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, I want to invite everyone to come and, and check out your work on Instagram and on YouTube. Uh, what's your it's Instagram? Yeah, it's Nigel.Danson. Nigel.Danson. So everyone, go check out Nigel's work. Uh, leave him a little uh, comment. Say you came from the podcast. Say hi. And um, Nigel, thank you so much. Our, we'll speak to you in the next episode. We should yeah, do a we'll, video we'll, some, we'll, somewhere we'll somehow together. together. That'll be really good. Yeah, it's great to speak to you. Thanks. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Wow. Thank you so much for listening. As Nigel put it, you gave me your time for free and that means a lot. Now, if I can push it a little bit and just ask you something is simply, can you please share that episode if you enjoyed it, send it to friends who maybe are lacking inspiration or anyone, absolutely anyone you think it will bring value to. On top of that, if you could leave a five-star rating on iTunes on the Apple Podcast app, that would help tremendously get that podcast out there. Remember guys, we're trying to blow it up this year and I haven't done a great job so far, but I'm gonna fix that very soon. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Remember, check out Nigel, check out his awesome work. I was so, so happy to hear his story a little bit more in depth and being able to ask him questions. If you guys want, we'll try to do that landscape photography challenge together. All right, guys, have an amazing day. Get out there, go shoot, try something different, try something new. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.